of our Healing the Broken series. Uh, so if you've missed any of those, if you want to catch up on those messages, those previous three, uh, you can find them on the website. You can scan the QR code there in your bulletin. It'll take you right there to our sermon archive, and you can get caught up there. John chapter 8 is a, is a great uh, section. Of course, all of God's Word is great. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, John chapter 8, for me to teach a standalone message really in the Gospel of John is really, really difficult um, because it is so deep. There is so much to these words, and especially in the 8th chapter of John. The 8th chapter of John starts out like this, that Jesus goes to the temple to teach, and as he's there, uh, the, the Bible tells us that the, that the religious leaders of the day bring an adulterous woman to him, And they say, Master, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And the law demands that we stone her. What do you say? Now, no doubt those religious leaders were trying to catch him, trying to find fault in him, trying to trap him in his words. Well, it didn't work. Jesus said, He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone at her. The Bible says they all dropped their stones and went their way. But after that, Jesus has a, a tremendous discourse with the religious leaders. He's talking to them and he shares something with them as many of them uh, disbelieved. Many of them didn't believe. Obviously, they were there at the temple uh, to try to catch him in his words, try to ensnare him, try to find fault in him. But yet Jesus, at this moment, starts into this deep discussion about the difference between a son or a slave. And I know that we're, we're, uh, our minds are already thinking about, some of you have already watched fireworks uh, some of you have already shot them off. We're already thinking about our own national independence. And it's always a good time, I think, for us around the 4th of July, around Independence Day, to kind of take a pause for a minute and to reevaluate or to look or, or to teach on the freedom that we have in Christ. And Jesus highlights it in John chapter 8. Look with me, if you would, in verse 31. Well, back up to verse 30. As Jesus had been teaching, the Bible records something awesome. It says, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Now that many could be religious leaders, could be the Pharisees, could be some of the scribes. It could have been some of the common folk that were there at the temple. Could have been some of the temple workers. We don't know. All we know is that the Bible, which didn't happen all that often during this season in Jesus' life, it says that many believed in him. In the words that he said. And notice verse 31, who Jesus is speaking to. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. He knew who believed him. He knew whose hearts were changed as he was speaking. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin or whoever keeps practicing sin, is the literal translation, is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. The indeed means truly. It means it's going to happen. 
It is beyond even debate is what Jesus is saying. Think about this with me for a moment as Jesus now draws this picture of a slave and a son. Now, what Jesus is referring to is a person when he's talking about a slave, he's referring to a person who works for the master of the house. So in this in this arena, in this scenario, Jesus is set up. You have the family and then you have the servants or the slave that were that were working for the owner of the home or the the man of the house. And they could do anything from working in the fields, they could tend to things in the house, whatever, whatever they were hired to do, they were, they were there. But what Jesus is saying is there's a difference. Even though they're all in the house, even though they are all under one roof, Jesus said they're not the same. Because there is the son who is a family member, who is a blood relative of the owner, and then there is the slave who works for their wages who is not family. You have family under the roof, and you have a slave or a servant, a bondservant, who is also under the roof. And Jesus is using this picture, this scenario, to illustrate the difference between being lost and being saved. And even more specifically, he has tailored this message. He who is the the, the greatest teacher of all time, knowing exactly who his audience is, did not choose those two characters by accident. He didn't just think, okay, well, let me see. What do I need to, what do I know? He knew exactly who his audience was. They They were people who had just believed, entered into the household of faith, and then there were still those who had yet to believe. Remember those religious leaders that tried to ensnare him, tried to trap him? If you keep on reading down in the Gospel of John, you'll see they get very defensive. They come to Jesus and say, hey, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved to anyone, which is false. I can remember many, probably many of you can as well as Abraham's descendants. We had Egypt, we had Assyria, we had Babylon, we had we had all force, all kinds of forces, the Greeks, and even at that moment they were enslaved, if you will, to the Romans. So this was a, a group of people that did not want to hear about sin, did not want to take any type of ownership over sin, but were really believing what they were portraying, that they were holy and righteous. So Jesus is using a perfect example to relate to those religious leaders who thought they were in the house. He's saying, you may be in the house but you're not family. You're not family. I want to show you quickly a few things that separate a slave from a son. And the first one is a slave is in a dark prison. Jesus said in verse 34, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, or the literal translation, whoever continually practices sin is a slave to sin. Isn't it funny that sin tries to promote happiness and freedom? If you think about it, that sin tries to promote this lifestyle of happiness and freedom and liberty. But all it delivers is despair and bondage. Here here we have the world telling us that if we abandon the Word of God, if we abandon the truth of God and live after our own heart and do whatever we want to do and live without any rules, any restrictions, a spiritual anarchy, if you will, the world will tell you you will have fun, it will be great, it will be the time of your life. That's how sin is promoted. 
That's not at all what it delivers. Friends, it is false advertising. Sin itself promotes, or excuse me, sin may promote happiness and freedom, but it does only deliver bondage, despair, sorrow, grief. Jesus said that the father of lies, the devil, seeks only to steal, kill, and destroy. There's a dark prison. Maybe those of you know more about it than many others. Maybe you know exactly about the bondage that sin entangles you and ensnares you in. The apostle warned believers in the New Testament to let go, to cast off those besetting sins, those sins that hold us back. And even as believers, we're not exempt from the ability to be bound up and wrapped up and entangled and ensnared in sin. You may remember those of you that are struggling, that are caught, that are wrapped up in sin. Those of you that are held captive by it at this very moment. You may remember back when the first time you touched it, the first time you yielded, the first time your teeth went through the flesh of that fruit and you remembered how great it was, how wonderful you thought it was. You were free, you were happy, you were independent, you were doing what you wanted. Oh, how the times change when sin becomes an awful roommate. The second thing Jesus says is in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. They don't just have a dark prison. They've got an evil parent. You think that lady on 101 Dalmatians was bad. You ain't you haven't seen this guy. Notice for a moment the gravity of what Jesus is telling these religious leaders. You are of your father, the devil. I think an accurate modern day translation, Jesus was saying you're the spawn of Satan. Telling them, you are the child of the devil. Who's he speaking to? The religious elite. No wonder when they hear these words that Jesus is saying, you are of your father the devil, they, they are so taken back. So angry, so upset, so furious over these words because in their mind, they are not the father of the devil. They are the descendants of Abraham. The father of the faithful. So there are only two things that could be happening in their mind. Either Jesus is referring to Abraham as a devil or Jesus is just wrong. Jesus defends it. You are of your father the devil and the desires of the, your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own resources for he is a, a liar and the father of it. Jesus just said, your daddy, your spiritual father, is the devil. By the way, I think I would be out of place if I didn't show you just how fired up those religious leaders were. Look at verse 41. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. You know what the religious leaders were saying? Do you all remember? Let's rewind just a moment back to the Christmas story. Do you remember Joseph was going to put Mary out? 
because she came up pregnant and he had never touched her? You know what happened? There was just still this story going around that Mary had another man. I mean, there were only two, according to the, I mean, there are only two options you could have. Either God is the father of Jesus, as he said, or Mary was stepping out on Joseph. And what they just said, what these guys just said is that, oh yeah, at least we were not the son of fornication. They used that word. They went there with Jesus. That shows you just how defensive, just how angry, just how furious they were over this discussion that those who thought they were entitled, those who thought they had it made spiritually, when Jesus pulls back the curtains and says, no, you're not a son, you're a slave. Your dad is really the devil. They're in a dark prison bound in sin. We see how binding that is that they can't even hear the truth of what Jesus is saying. In verse 47, Jesus said, you do not hear. In verse 30, 43, Jesus said, you're not even able to hear my words. They were so bound up in their own defense of their own righteousness, their own appearance, in their own, in their own religious uh, setup. They were so defensive of that that they would not even listen to Jesus' words of truth. The third thing is they had a horrible purpose. Jesus said the desires of your father you want to do. You want to live just like him. Well, if you think about it, Jesus didn't miss it much. If he is speaking to those religious leaders who thought they were sons and found out they were slaves and the slave doesn't abide in the house forever and their father is the devil. If you think about it, what Jesus is just saying now is your, your father is not the devil. You're just living just like him. You look a little like him around the eyes. You got his nose. You got his horns. You got his little spiky tail. You're looking just like him and acting just like him. Let me just remind you of this one thing. Let me put this down into a place where we can all grab a hold of it and hopefully all be able to take something away from it. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We may be created by God. May be the distinct, wonderful creation of God, a sinner or saint. But we only become a child of God. When we come to that place where we realize we have sinned and separated ourselves from a holy, loving God and put our faith completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the only way, saving faith, being justified by grace through faith is the only way we can change daddies. That we can move from being a child of the devil, a child of sin, to a child of righteousness, a child of our heavenly father, God. They were not just, by the way, let me tell you that if you think it is just a slave that commits, that is accomplishing a horrible purpose, unfortunately there are many sons and daughters of God who also are accomplishing a horrible purpose, who are living a life of yielded continual sin, uh, bound up in it, living a life so corrupt that it causes them, as the apostle said, to not yield our instruments, our members as instruments of unrighteousness in the book of Romans, warning us to also not live like a slave, but to live like a son. And the final thing is this. There's a terrible end. If you notice in verse 21 and 24 of the same chapter, Jesus tells them up front, you're going to die in your sins. First time he says you'll die in your sin. The second time he says you'll die in your sins. And he says it twice. 
Jesus is telling them that they're not just lost here, but they're going to be lost forever. They're taking that one word that he's speaking about truth and freedom, and they're, they're ignoring it. They're disregarding it. They're casting it behind them. They are not believing the words that he says and right up front, not in small print. This isn't the fine print at the bottom of the contract. Jesus puts it at the very headline of the spiritual newspaper of the day. He says three times, you will die in your sins. You will spend eternity with your father in a perpetual lake of fire that will never go out. That's called hell. Let me contrast this quickly with the son. Verse 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Isn't it funny that we as Christians oftentimes quote, and we will know the truth, and the truth will make us free? But let me remind you about something. In order for us to really celebrate that freedom, we have to know what that freedom is all about. We have to know what we've been liberated from, what we've been liberated to. We have to know who liberated us. And Jesus ties these together. He doesn't just say, okay, you're free. He's saying, explore that freedom that you possess. Get to know the depth and the width and the height of that freedom. What he's saying is, if you abide in my word, if these words do not just fall on your ears, but literally are lived out in your life, if you make my words your footsteps, your heart's desire, and your hand's actions, if you live these things out, you will understand the truth, and that truth will make you free. Psalm 119, the psalmist said, I walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will walk at liberty. I will walk in freedom, because I seek your precepts. What the psalmist knew is something that we often forget, is that God's Word is not this restricting, constricting list of things that whittle us down to where we can't do anything, can't have any fun, not at all. The Word of God does not take this, this good stuff away from us. What the Word of God does is show us how to live so we can maximize the life and the fulfillment and the satisfaction and the joy that comes from our relationship with God. The psalmist understood that. I'm walking in wide places, he says, because I seek your word. Your word is not restraining me from the good, but it is giving me the freedom to live the life that you made me and designed me to be. I think it's understood that the son has a loving parent. God the father, much different, much different than the slave. Slave's father was the devil, oh, not us. We have a father who cares about us, who knows even when the sparrow falls who is aware of our needs and is actively working to meet them even before we ever ask. We have a God who loves us so much he demonstrated it on the cross by sending his son to show us the true value and worth of our soul. We have a glorious purpose, quite opposite that of the enemies, quite opposite that of the slave. Their purpose is only to be a pawn for the enemy. Oh, but our purpose, our purpose is to be a reflection of the glory and goodness of our heavenly father to live a life of salt and light, to live a life that reflects His honor and brings majesty and glory to His name. That's our purpose. We have a glorious one at that. And let me show you finally in verse 35. Slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Verse 52 
anyone keeps my words, he shall never taste death. Friends, what a contrast. The slaves, you will die in your sins. You are bound up, enslaved, imprisoned. You're living for your father and pretty soon you're going to go meet him. You're carrying out his purpose on earth and Jesus lays a stark contrast to say it is not that way with sons. Sons abide in the house forever. Sons abide in the truth. Sons live the purpose that I have for them. Sons have me as their father and a son will never die. Our bodies, our tents will fold up, it is true. But this body is not going to live forever anyway. This body houses a soul. C.S. Lewis said that we are not a, a body that has a soul. We are a soul that has a body. And one day this body is going to pass away. It is going to be folded up. And with it we have a habitation of God. We have the real us here. And it is eternal. It will spend eternity somewhere. And I ask you today. Where will you spend eternity? This message is short, I know, but it is pretty simple in the sense of we only have two options. They're the only two options that God gives us. Light, darkness, lost, found, son, slave. Truth, falsehood, there are only two. There's no gray area here. Son or slave. Which one are you? Do you know which one you are? This morning, as we end this sermon, if you know that you are a son. And you are thankful this morning. That you have been delivered from the bondage of sin. To be thankful that you have been stripped off of the the street market of sin. To know that you have changed ownership. You're not under the previous management. You have a new Lord. And his name is God the Father. Can you be thankful this morning that you are not living to accomplish the purposes of the enemy? Oh, but a grander, greater purpose, a more glorious purpose is in mind for you to perpetually and eternally reflect the glory and praise of the one who saved you and gave himself for you. And can you this morning as a son to be thankful, oh, so thankful for those words that a son will never leave. A son will be in the house forever. To know that you have a heavenly habitation awaiting you. And that one day, whenever, how far or near that may be, when you do breathe your last and your last chapter and your book is written and it's closed, you can know that a brand new book is being opened for you in the presence of the one who loved you and gave himself for you. If you're a slave and somewhere down in here, somewhere right here in the very core of who you are, you can't point to it, you you can't describe it, but you know right now that you're a slave. You know that you may have been in the house. You may look like a Christian by all people's standards. You may talk like a Christian, but you know right here in your heart, God has made it very real to you that you do not know him as your savior. You've never come to that point. Maybe like the religious leaders, you keep deflecting sin, never taking ownership of it, always trying to argue and debate it rather than just coming to God and saying, God, I am a sinner. I have missed the mark. I've sinned with my mind, with my mouth, with my hands. I have sinned as an act of commission and I've sinned as an act of omission. 
I am filthy, Lord, compared to your holiness. And the only thing I can do right now is fall on your mercy and your grace that came to me through Calvary's Hill. Today, I can't live that perfect life that you called me to live. But God, what I can do is trust in the only perfect one, Jesus Christ. And today I receive him as my Lord and Savior through faith. What other decision do you have this morning? Is it baptism? Have you never followed in that first step of obedience in the life of a believer to be baptized? If so, I would love for you to come and make that public. Say, you know what? I want to follow Jesus Christ in baptism. Never done it. I want to do that. Make that public. Nothing to be ashamed of as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there's sin in your heart. And maybe you are a son, but you're struggling and you're bound up. And you're not abiding in the truth. You're, you're bound up and beset by those sins that have tangled you up, that promised fun and happiness and freedom at first, but you found out all too quickly that they never deliver on that. Today, do you need special prayer? I've got people that are ready in a moment's notice, myself included, to bend a knee, to grab your hand, and to pray with you. Take your request to the throne of God if you wish. Father, I thank you this morning that you make it very easy for us to understand. I thank you that for those people that were within earshot, Lord, it was two decisions, son or slave. And Father, I don't care how religious we may try to appear. You didn't care how religious those religious leaders tried to appear. Lord, you were able to see right through, and the same is true with us. We may present ourselves one way, but we may really be a different person inside. And only you know our heart, and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful, Lord, that you're able to look into our heart, look into our soul. You know if we have trusted you, if we have come into the house as a son. Father, I pray that each one of us that walks out of this place, when our hand hits that doorknob, we may be able to say this morning, I am free indeed. Thank you for the freedom. Help us to not allow that freedom to be used as a cloak of sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand this morning.